Hello everybody, Trish here once again with a brand new episode of Trish of the Day. It's been up and down this week. I had a date. As we're talking about dating later on today's show, I thought I'd tell you what happened. We arranged to meet in a lovely restaurant. He was a retired butcher from the Isle of Wight. And to be honest, the date was going great until he turned up. Now I'm all for avoiding waste. So in a restaurant, normally, I think it's perfectly okay to ask me, are you going to eat that? What I would say is, at least wait until the waitress has put the plate down on the table before you ask. He described the Isle of Wight as the Sicily of England. I told him I didn't know much about the place. By the end of the date, I did. He was telling me he had a daughter, who was called Pebbles. I said, what an unusual name. He said the name was inspired by his ex-wife's favourite TV programme, Gardener's World. It was as if he'd never been out before. He kept leaning across and saying, Mmm, that looks nice. That looks better than mine. That looks nice. And to be fair, the people on the next table did have nice food. When I pointed out to him that I found his behaviour quite annoying, he said I should stop making such a melodrama out of it. I said, melodrama? He said, yes, a massive drama, like a melon. It clearly wasn't going well, and I know it's mean, and I know it's a cliché, but sometimes a hasty escape through the fire exit to run away is the only option. And that's just what he did. Anyway, on the plus side, in his haste, he left his wallet behind. So although the date was a write-off, one good thing was that the family at the next table not only had nice food, they also had a nice surprise bottle of champagne to go with it, brought to the table, which we all agreed drank very nicely. A recent report reported recently that there aren't as many weddings as there used to be, particularly compared to, say, 20 years ago, when an awful lot of people wanted to get married. And in the case of my ex-husband, truly awful. With me now, I have Alistair, who lives a few doors down from me. And Alistair is a wedding planner. So thanks for joining me, Alistair. Oh, thanks for having me, Trish. So, Alistair, have you always been a wedding planner? No, I was at school till I was 18. Right. Now, planning a wedding obviously can be very stressful, can't it, Alistair? That's why I'm there. There needs to be a bit of stress, Trish. Otherwise, you won't fully appreciate the big day when it comes. If you're not having at least two arguments a week with your wedding planner or your venue, you're not doing it right. Right. So have weddings changed over the past 20 years, would you say? Well, weddings are more of an event now. I mean, people do like to show off. The themed weddings have become really trendy. Oh, my wedding was a themed wedding, yes. The theme was dog rough in-laws. So what sort of themed weddings have you worked on? Skydiving, aye. Uh, all the wedding party jumped out of an aeroplane and the, the ceremony took place in mid-air. That went very smoothly, until the bride's grandmother lost her false teeth. And she killed a cow. Her false teeth killed a cow? No, she did. She landed on it. I think it was the walking frame that did it. Wow. Anyway, Alistair, I have a few questions from some of my listeners who have emailed in. Um, it would be lovely if you'd lend us your experience. Aye, fire away, Trish. Now, this one is from Chloe, um, with a K, bizarrely. Um, she says, My fiancé and I wanted to not have a traditional bridal group, but... I wanted a matron of honour. Would it be weird to just have a matron of honour and nobody else? Yes, she'd be wondering where everybody else had gone. Good point, Alistair. I can see why you're the expert. Now, this one is from Simon. He says, 
When should we send out save the date notifications? Now, this is quite a new phenomenon, isn't it, Alistair? I must say I'm not a fan of them. I tend to associate save the date cards with the cards you get to remind you of upcoming unpleasant events like dentist's appointments or a smear test. I'd say send them out the earlier the better. You need to pin people down as early as you can, otherwise folks come up with all sorts of crap to get out of going. Especially if they're only invited to the evening do. Now that's a whole etiquette in itself, isn't it? Who gets invited to which bit of the day? That's right, Trish. Now as a general rule, close family and friends should be invited to the whole day. Less close family and friends, just to the ceremony and the evening do. You shouldn't feed them during the day. Like gremlins. People you don't know that well should be invited just to the ceremony and last orders at the bar. And anyone you don't really like, just invite them to watch the ceremony through the window. I have an email here from Deborah, who is offering a piece of advice regarding economising. She says, I was flabbergasted at how venues would give me quotes for my wedding that were three or four times the cost of a normal party. In the end, I told a venue it was my birthday party, which was fancy dress, and the theme was wedding day. I saved a fortune. Good tip there from Deborah, I think, Alistair. What a miser! That's a sneaky wee trick. What a stingy miser. I mean, it's the happiest day of your life. You should be prepared to spend at least £45,000 on it. It's supposed to be a once-in-a-lifetime event. If you're not prepared to pay for it, well, I hope you split up. Some friends of mine renewed their wedding vows recently, and I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder which one had the affair. I did ask around, but I just got shushed. Rude. OK, time for one more question. This is from Sandra. She says... My husband Peter and I got so stressed when planning our wedding. We clashed with the venue, we clashed with the wedding planner, we clashed with the caterers, so in the end we cancelled the whole lot and we eloped. We've never regretted the small, cheap wedding we had, and we even gave some of the money we saved to charity. So, Alistair, what do you think of Sandra and Peter? What do I think of Sandra and Peter? What do I... They're psychopaths! They're psychopaths! I mean, what the actual fu... Now... Dating. We're forever being given guides and tips about how to have the perfect date, what to say, how to be charming. But I feel that what we're never told is what to do when your date turns up and hasn't read the guides and tips and is absolutely horrendous. So I'm joined now by a friend of mine, Keith, who's also a relationship counsellor, aren't you, Keith? Well, I'm doing an evening class. So, uh, Keith, do you go on many dates yourself? I mean, is it technically a date if the other person doesn't know? No, that's not a date, Keith. Then, no, I don't. But I'm a great observer. I'm a people watcher, me. Always observing. Airports, bus stations, up a tree. Pardon? Cafes. So, Keith, you're going to give us ten typical mistakes that people make on dates. That's right. They're not in any particular order. But, number one, people don't listen. And tend to dominate the conversation. Oh, I know what you mean, Keith. That's happened to me so many times. They just don't listen, do they? So what do you do, Keith, if your partner for the evening is hogging the conversation, you know, completely dominating it? Because I'll tell you what I do. I test them to see if they're listening. I do something called the Hakuna Matata test. What's the Hakuna Matata test? I was literally about to explain it, Keith. Do you honestly think I'd bring up the Hakuna Matata test and not explain what it is? I'm not a psychopath. Basically, what I do is, when I'm on a date, I see how many times I can slip Hakuna Matata into the conversation before he realises. If you're interested, uh, my record is 17 times. Anything more than three times, I say, is a no-no. 
I mean, if they honestly can't hear you responding with Hakuna Matata in every gap in the conversation, it doesn't bode well. I mean, what else won't they hear? Please empty the dishwasher. Help me, I'm choking. I think your sister's racist, Alan. I mean, where will it end, Keith? Sorry. Uh, anyway, back to... Um, what number are we on? Two. Two. Okay, off you go. Okay, number two. People don't say anything at all and leave you to do all the work. That's something I've never experienced, Keith, actually. So uh, what happens there? Well, everyone says, don't they, to avoid being attacked by a bear, you just pretend to be dead. Well, sometimes you can be attacked by awkward silence. And so in the past, I have pretended to be dead to get out of this sort of situation on a date. It really works, though. You know, I mean, sometimes, yeah, there's a bit of explaining to do to the paramedic. But uh, generally, you know, they appreciate a funny story at the end of a long shift. OK, I'll bear that in mind. So before we get your next tip, uh, there is something I've been dying to ask you, Keith. Um, what's that stain on your top? Egg. OK, so what's your next tip? And we'll make this the last one, actually. I know we were going to do ten, but I just can't sit through another seven looking at that egg. Fair enough. Uh, number three, people give out mixed messages. This has happened to me. Oh, surprise, surprise. I was in a restaurant with this chap, and I thought he liked me. And then suddenly, he started playing mind games. Like what? Sudoku. On his phone? No. It was the Puzzler magazine. He even got up at one point to go and sharpen his pencil. Rude. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, what can you do? Anyway, I'll be off, Trish. The bus is due. OK, so thank you so much to Keith for coming in. Uh, mind how you go. Take care. And uh, a bit of vanish or get that egg right out, Keith. I'm joined once again by my friend and office mate, Sue. Hi, Sue. All right, Trish. So today, Sue and I are going to be talking about phobias, irrational fears... In preparation, I went out onto the streets to ask the great British public in my local area about their irrational fears. Hello. Today I'm asking people about their phobias and irrational fears. Do you have any phobias? Cats. Oh, I'm more of a dog person too. No, I mean the musical. Giant singing cats with human hands and no anuses freaks me out. Do you have any phobias? Car washers. Sweet corn. Really? Yeah, what's interesting is... I'm okay with corn on the cob. I'd question the word interesting there. Mr Bean. Phobias? Yeah. Hotels. Hotels? Yeah, I have this fear that I'll be staying in a remote hotel and getting killed in the shower by the owner dressed as his own mother. Isn't that the plot of the movie, Psycho? I don't know. Never seen it. Phobias? Uh, yes, mine's a rare one. I actually suffer from Hippopotomonstros sesquipedaliophobia. What's that? It's a fear of long words. And I... Oh, hang on. I'm cured. I'm cured. I'm cured. Well, aren't people weird? Now, Sue, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I suffer from a phobia. Do you know what it is? Is it a fear of buying a round of drinks? <laughs> no, Sue. It's actually a fear of spiders. I'm absolutely petrified of them, even being in the same room as one. To make things worse, I recently read that on average we swallow eight spiders a year while we're asleep. And that thought filled me with absolute dread. I didn't sleep for weeks. Even thinking about it makes me feel anxious and a bit sick. Do you sleep with your mouth open, Trish? Maybe they fall in as they're crawling across your face. <laughs> Try sleeping with a mask on. 
You're not helping, Sue. Try not to think about how many spiders you swallow. Stop it. Think about how many you don't swallow. You know, because they manage to crawl the way back out. Stop it. Stop it. All right, Sue. Let's move away from spiders for now, please. Do you have any phobias, Sue? Apart from a full day's work? Yes. I have to get out of the bathroom before the toilet stops flushing or my whole family will die. I don't think that's a phobia, Sue. I mean, yes, it's irrational because your family won't die unless they're going to use the bathroom straight after you. And yes, you're scared you won't get your pants up in time, but you're not scared of going to the toilet. That would be a phobia. Oh, no, I love going to the toilet. Do you leave the door open or closed when you're on the loo, Trish? Oh, closed, yes, and locked. Locked? But you live on your own. Yes, I know, but I'm always afraid that a fox could somehow get into my house and then come into the toilet when I'm on it and at my most vulnerable. I've got a fear of foxes too, and I've heard that some urban foxes can open doors now. I never shut the door when I'm on the loo, not anymore. Last year, one morning I was really hungover, and I was on the toilet and I was straining so hard, I passed out and fell off the toilet and grazed my chin. Yes, I know, Sue. That was at work. It was me that found you. Oh, I thought of one. I'm all right now, but when I was about six, we went to the circus, Mm -hmm. and I was in the front row, Mm -hmm. and this horrible, scary clown ran straight over us (gasps) with a bucket of water, and he threw it right in my face. Only it wasn't water, it was tinsel. And he was roaring with laughter, pointing at me. It was so creepy. So that was the start of 15 years of my rational fear. So you were scared of clowns? No, tinsel. Were you not listening to the story? So you said you suffered for 15 years. Now, it is possible to treat some phobias with counselling or therapy, like exposure therapy or aversion therapy. So how did you finally get over your tinsel phobia, Sue? I just forgot. You forgot? Yeah, just forgot all about it. What am I like? I'll tell you when we're off air. Thanks for joining me, Sue. That's phobia sorted then. Is that a spider over there? Sue's funny little prank there. She didn't find it so funny when I invoiced her for a new telephone table. Anyway, that's another one in the can, as they say at the baked bean factory. (laughs) I'm going to end this episode with another message I've received from a listener. This is from Gordon from Kings Norton. He says, Hi Trish, I have a story I think you might be interested in. Well, let's see, shall we, Gordon? He says, Several years ago, I'm convinced I was abducted by aliens. I was in my car on a quiet country lane and I remember being sucked through my car window into the air. Next thing I knew, I woke up on some kind of table and I was being probed in the small spaceship that had carried me off. At the time, I couldn't account for the two hours that I was missing, but the memories keep coming back to me as flashbacks. I'm thinking of contacting NASA or the space station people to get their thoughts, but I just wondered if any of your listeners had had a similar experience. Very interesting, Gordon. In my experience, there is one surefire way to tell if you've been abducted by aliens. You haven't. Bye. Trish of the Day was written, performed and produced by Craig Dealey. It is a Literally the Joke production.